Hello, everybody. Welcome to quite possibly the last edition of the 2021 Surf and Sales podcast. It is Richard Harris here with my friend Scott Lease, who I know is in Northern California because he's wearing a flannel shirt. So, um, he looks he looks somewhere between the Southern Baptist preacher and a lumberjack. I can't really tell which one I want to call him today. So, uh, Scott, welcome back to California, my bud. Oh man, it's cold here. I forgot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, as always, we want to get a quick shout out to our sponsors of Vidyard Outreach and Reggie.ai. As you look at 2022, uh, please be sure and uh, take a look at these tools and services to help you uh, achieve the goals and numbers. We also have another uh, sponsor who's actually here with us. So I want to introduce our good friend, Adam J from Reprise. So Adam, welcome to Surf and Sales. And um, by all means, let everybody know what Reprise does just so we can have some context and by all means, your sponsor. So see if we can find you some business too. I, lo I love it. Thanks for having me. Um, so Reprise, we are a uh, enterprise-ready demo and product experience platform. What so the what fuck does that does mean? That mean? I was going to say, that, that's some, that's buzz some words, fancy Adam. shit, I don't right? do buzzwords. What does um, that mean? So we, we, we allow you and your sales team to create your demo environment, anonymize all that shit data that you don't want to show and that you shouldn't show, and really create this high quality environment to have a demo experience that works flawlessly every time. And instead of sending your champions or your buyers this bullshit one pager that marketing created that's been out of date for six months, you're sending them the actual demo environment to walk through. And then we're powering back real-time analytics to Salesforce so you could track every time it's viewed who views it, where they view it, why they view it, and customize your sales experience based on that. Is this, is this something that that brand new companies who are, who are kind of trying to hit the market for the first time should be looking at, or is this more for mature companies that have you know a set process and flow and everything like that? Yeah, it's it's for both, Scott. Um, brand new companies, yes. New or existing companies that have a set process, yes as the world's changing to this PLG, this product-led growth motion, to be able to let your buyers kind of have the keys to the castle and play with it is really where we come in. And not in the sense of like, hey, we're a fancy word for freemium. We are not freemium. We're going to allow you, regardless of the size of your company, to really showcase your product and let people get their hands on it before they make a buying decision. So you said something really interesting there, which is, um, <clears throat> you know, you let potential buyers get their hands on it and use it and play with it. So that, that just got me thinking about the way that people conduct and run demos right now. Um, and I was listening to a, uh, a demo earlier this morning and Sorry. the salesperson spoke for, yeah, the salesperson spoke for five and a half minutes straight, um, just showing things off and no, no engagement, no back and forth, no back and forth, no, you know, handing somebody else the keys, so to speak. What, what are some of the, the things that you see in, in demos right now that are being done wrong and could be done better? What's the solution? Shit, we're going to start. Um, sales reps talking for five minutes straight um, is probably part of it. You know, I think that when you look at a good demo, you want to get your prospect and your customer talking. No one gives a shit what I think or what my rep thinks. <clears throat> I know what I think is important to you and my product. But if I don't have a chance to let you really tell me that, um, I'm selling you my solution. So what we allow you to do is we allow that prospect to, in this customized environment that's created, really see 
how the product is going to interact with them, how it's going to interact with the customers, they could go through this kind of mock environment. So when you do this demo call and you're going deeper, their questions are very specific, tailored to how the product interacts with them and their clients versus the overall like, hey, what does whatever your product is happen to do? I think the other thing people do wrong is they, they open the product with a 17-page slide deck and try to go through you know pages and pages and pages of bullet points of how we're going to help you and make you better and the ROI and the value we're going to solve and all the same shit you get in every LinkedIn message that people reach out to you, right? Like you're a VP of sales at X, you must have Y problem. You don't know what my problem is. Just, just because we're all VPs of sales doesn't mean our problems are the same. Um, the demo environments in the demo world is broken. I, I sat through a demo call the other day with a rep and uh, they popped open their Salesforce and I saw their top 10 customers, the value of their contracts, what the terms were and what the discount percentages were. Um, oh, the probably not something that, yeah, probably not something they yeah, should have yeah, shown yeah. me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's been broken for a long time and it's, it's interesting, um, you know, so I'm glad that Reprise is out there solving this problem. How do you, you know, one of the challenges I still see, and I like what you do is like, hey, you can set this up, you can use dummy data and stuff. But even then, your customers, I assume, will still come back and say, okay, Adam, this is great, but I want to see it with my data because my data is really precious, right? When in fact, it's not that precious, right? It's just fucking data. Um, How do you then navigate that? And not just, I mean, certainly from the sense of reprise, because that'll happen with your own clients. But in general terms, for those who, you know, who aren't, you know, yet using something like Reprise or using Reprise, what's the advice to say to that customer when that happens? Yeah. So, yes, everyone's data is precious, right? Everyone's selling the Taj Mahal. Um, I think this is where that, you know, proof of concept comes in and where our, our SE team comes in and we follow this kind of product-led growth strategy of the initial step is to let you see it you know, based on what that mock-up is. The second step is we're going to do, do a true POC and build it out for you with so is that, your data. So this, is, this is great because this is what I've been advising people is, great, here's the demo. You want to see it with your data. It now needs to become a paid POC because I got to put resources into this. What is your thought behind the paid POC? Agree, disagree? So we actually do our POCs for free. Um, we'll do a trial. Um, we'll build it out. We'll assign an SE resource. Um, we'll build it out. And at the end of that two weeks, and it's about expectation setting up front, right? This is where that sales process comes in. And it's we sell to sales and marketing leaders. It's very hard to run a sales process on a sales leader. If I try to run a sales process on Scott, he's going to tell me to go fuck myself. Um, it's going to be his process. So you got to find this balance. Um, but it's a two-week trial Proof of yeah, but what happens? So, so again, data. so I'm just I'm just going to keep pressing you because this is what yeah, I yeah. Go ahead, I love so, it. So then you get to the end of the two weeks and your your prospects are well, you know, we still need another two weeks. We're still not convinced, and I agree with you. Well, you better set your expectations up front. Like I get that. So doesn't the idea of a paid POC encourage them, you know, to fucking get on the get on board with this thing? And and I think my question really is. What's your, and maybe it's because of what stage you're at, which you can let people know. What's the downside of requiring a paid POC? So I do think it has to do with stage. Um, so we're, we're Series B. Um, we're 82 million funded. Um, our Series B was 62 million. So I think part of it has to do with that. I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth, Richard. On the commercial side, I, I think a paid POC for your smaller customers is a little bit of a deal breaker for them. 
um, if you haven't shown that value up front. On the enterprise side, we absolutely do and have done paid trials. They are longer than two weeks. Typically with a paid trial, we'll go anywhere from 60 to 90 days um, where, you know, paid trial, put it up on your website, send out the assets. We'll work with you, you know, throughout that time. And at the end, we're either going to sign a contract if we're doing our job right and we're showing the value or we're not. When people pay for a trial, to your point, they're much more vested, right? Now that they're going to put those resources in, they're going to put in their resources to combine with our resources and make sure this is going well versus, oh, well, it's it's this free proof of concept and you guys will put it together and like at the end of two weeks, we'll extend it if we need to and no harm, no foul. So I, so I, I agree with you. Wait, I, so I want to ask Scott. Scott, would you ever do a paid POC? No. Why not? Never. <laughs> why? Because somebody else will give it to me for free. There you go. That's why. That's if no other reason, somebody else will give it to me for free. Is, is free always better? Sure. No, but I could use free to test, to pressure test whether or not I need this particular solution. I might do a free trial at Richard's company and pressure test, do I need this solution? But then go back to you and be like, hey, I'm ready to buy <laughs> because yeah, your yeah. product is, is better. Typical. You know what I'm saying? Typical Scott. Sorry. Let me, this is what Scott does. He uses Richard and then he fucks me. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on come on be so no. sensitive <laughs> uh yeah uh, and then he calls me sensitive so you know yeah, yeah, by, yeah. The, by the way i'm gonna i'm gonna shift gears this is a fun topic but a, a, uh, a gentle flower richard a gentle yes, flower. i know as, as i once had a rep tell me scott the, the irony is scott's actually as gentle as i am it's just got a nice facade behind that beard yes, or sir, using yeah, that beard. I, so. I hide behind it yeah uh so scott we were talking before you were able to get on and um you know, you're working some backend stuff with, with Adam and his question to me. And I said, I'd wait till after this uh -oh. is to say, you're going to get me in trouble, Richard. Yeah. No, I'm not. Uh, is, well, you know, who handles all the administrative stuff for you guys, Richard? Cause Scott says he can't. And I'm like, I didn't say can't, I said doesn't. <laughs> so let's answer that live. Scott, who handles our administrative stuff? Well, Richard, Richard handles the administrative Stuff. That's not true anymore. We made it. We made a deal. <laughs> I am in charge of uh, collecting paper, as they as they say, yes. and uh, putting out the word and all this kind of stuff. Richard handles the logistics of certain things. The execution um, of what? Listen, I, we've promise. been doing surf and sales for like five years, and uh, at least once a month, I'm texting Richard saying, "Hey, I can't find the contract for surf and sales." Can you? <laughs> let's let's put it to you this way. Scott, there is this thing called the Google Drive, Scott. Here's, here's yes, that's what he says. It's in the Google Drive. I said, <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot we had a Google Drive. Scott, that's good Scott is the salesperson, and Richard is customer success, who makes all the lies come true. All the things that Scott has promised come true is because of yes, this. yes. So, I make the mess, and you clean it up. Pretty much. Right? Pretty much. So, Richard, yeah. I, I need to talk to you about the buy one get one sponsorship Scott promised. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Pay hey, for 2022, you get 2023 is what I vaguely right. called him saying. Right. Well, <laughs> what he means by get that is that you still have to pay for it, but you can still get it. That's what Scott meant. But he's very good at subtle words. So, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So let's go. Let's go back to to Adam talking about the the growth. I mean, that's a that's a massive round that that y'all made. I see that you guys are hiring nonstop. So a little plug here for anybody who's looking for sales leadership roles, customer success roles, AE individual contributor roles. Adam and uh, and Reprise are hiring for all those things. So go check it out. 
Um, recruiting is on everybody's mind right now. It's almost impossible to get away from the topic. So I'm not going to let you get away from the topic. Um, and you're having success recruiting, but also, you know, having to work pretty hard to do it. So how do you anticipate this either changing, moving into the new year or kind of reverting back to the mean a little bit? Like, what do you, what do you think you're going to have to do as a sales leader in particular to hire and staff up your team? It's, it's so fun, funny that you asked that because if people knew what my morning was, they would swear, swear this was a scripted question. Um, I've spent all morning talking to candidates, um, both for AE roles, leadership roles as well. I have never had to be more involved um, as a sales leader to try to get candidates. It is a job seekers market. There are companies out there that are paying insane amounts of money for roles. Um, and I find for every good candidate, the competition to get them to join Reprise as good as we are and as good as I think we are um, is much stiffer than I've seen anywhere before. People are, I had a guy this morning that I'm talking to right after this podcast, four offers. Why do I want to join you? Um, and this is going to be my fourth conversation with him. And a year ago, the answer is like, dude, like you want to join us. And like, if you don't, I'm just going to move on to the next candidate. Right. Like that's not, that's not the world now. Like I, I'm prioritizing meetings and moving shit around in my day so that I can talk to him because he's that good of a candidate. And I think you're going to see that, that trend continue. You know, they talk about the great resignation and like all this stuff that's happened with COVID. I think what it's shown us is you could have great talent remotely and people are willing to leave for a great culture, great benefits, great pay. Um, and people's expectations have raised. So I think where it changes for us as sales leaders is the days of being able to say to my talent team, hey, go source some candidate from LinkedIn, put them through the hiring process, and I'll be the last interview. Um, those days are over. If there's a candidate that I want, I partner with my talent team. I lead the process. I personally schedule them for the next interviews. I personally have that first conversation with them and stay super involved throughout the whole process so that they feel a, a connection to the you know, proverbial top, if you will versus just getting put through a process. And I think you're going to continue to see that for candidates that you really want to attract that are super important to you. Okay, yeah. So I have so many questions around recruiting and, you know, as a VP of sales and you've been in sales for a long time, what kind of questions do you wish, wish a candidate would ask you that are not the standard, what's a day in the life like? And, um, compensation and vacation, which at some point they should ask all these kinds of questions, but what are the kind of questions that make you go, oh, this person's thoughtful. This person is really trying to be different. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I think for me, you know, I'm always intrigued when people talk about growth and what growth looks like. Um, I love when people push back when we're talking about compensation and OTE, like what shows me intelligence is great. Your OTEs, 250, I'm throwing a, route, a number out there, but what percentage of people are hitting OTE? You know, I think people get too caught up in like, oh, you know, the, the OTE is 600K. I mean, that's fucking great. 1% of people hit OTE, so that really means nothing. Um, what percentage of folks are hitting OTE? I really like when people ask about cross-collaboration, how do we work with other departments to ensure success? I love it when people ask, you know, to speak to actual AEs. Um, I'm different in that mindset. I know a lot of leaders who don't want to put candidates on the phone with their team. I, I want people to ask to be on the phone with my team. Um, I get paid to tell you this is the best fucking thing in the world, right? Like my, my team tell, does. Tell people, tell people why. Tell people why you like it when candidates ask to speak to your team members, your AEs in particular. 
and what and maybe so, and maybe and maybe add a little nugget about why some people don't so for me you know i think when people ask to speak to members of the team it's because they're they're number one smart and they know that like I'm a like I'm a recruiter, right? Like I might be the VP of sales, but I'm the recruiter. I have to fill this job. My comp depends on it. I, I need AEs to come in and build it. When they're asking to talk to my team, it's basically a polite way of saying, like, I'm I'm gonna gut check you on your bullshit, right? You know, I'm gonna make sure that everything you're telling me about, you know, team hitting quota, team performance, morale, all this, like I'm gonna talk to someone on your team and hear it from someone else. And I wanna tell you who I wanna talk to on your team. I don't want you to cherry pick your top rep. Um, is something that's important to me. I think candidates, got to, they're, they're afraid to ask. Is Number one, they're afraid that you'll say no. I think some candidates are just afraid to push back in general and ask for anything extra in the sales process, in the interview process that's outside of the scope. But to me, it shows a sense of like, they're really doing their diligence on the company they're joining. Um, and they want to see who they're going to be working with and what that dynamic is like more so than, you know, who the VP of sales is and what that dynamic is like. What do you, what are the questions you like to ask that are different? Oh, interview Scott Lease. Scott Lease comes in, he's going to be your, uh, you know, you know, a sales I'm the the candidate. I'm the candidate. Adam's going to ask me a creative question. Yeah. So, uh, Scott Scott Lease is a job candidate for for an AE role. Um, sure, there, yeah. there is no there there is no interview. He's getting hired right away. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus, God. Oh, l- l- listen, I, we 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 we've gone through this before. Um, no, I think for me, um, so my questions, I try to steer away from the tell me about a time when or give me an example of like they're all bullshit. My interviews are typically super conversational. I want to know you as a person. I, I want to know. What do you do for fun? You know, stupid question, but like, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Um, is one of my favorite ones. And like, my leader actually pushed back on me the other day. She's like, what, why, are, why are we asking this? Like, is there a right answer? And there is a right answer. Like, we all love to win. I want to know how much you hate fucking losing. How bad does it bother you that you're going to lose? That you're going to go out there and really chase that win and pull in every resource you can and, you know, go cross-departmentally, think outside the box, multi-thread. What are you going to do? Because the thought of a fucking loss is that bad. I despise when something comes across the closed loss channel. It fucks up my whole entire day. Um, So I I want reps who really hate to lose. Um, So Scott, answer the question. Wait, ask him the question and answer. Because I want to hear Scott's genuine answer because I know Scott's answer, but I think people would be interested in hearing how Scott says it because it's probably different than how they might answer it. Well, I, I 100% would say that I hate to lose more than I like to win. I couldn't hardly tell you about some of the wins that I've had. And I remember every single painful loss that there is. But for example, I can remember being up two zero in the round of 32 in my sophomore year uh, in college in the soccer, in the uh, soccer tournament. And we were up two zero at home. And the other team is a man up. No, sorry. They're a man down. We're a man up. So I'm ahead 2-0, and the other team is playing with 10 men. And in the last 15 minutes, we gave up three goals and lost the game. We got eliminated from the tournament. I will never, ever, ever forget that loss. I couldn't tell you anything about the game prior to that where we won. I don't even remember who we played. Don't remember the score, nothing. But I remember all of those painful losses like that. So that's an that's a easy easy answer there for me so now i'm just going to take over here for a second so now if you remember adam asked the question do you like to win or do you hate to lose but prior to that he also said 
who are you? What do you like to do for fun? That kind of thing. So in my answer, I decided to weave in a story that gave him a little sense of like, okay, this guy uh-huh. yep. was an athlete. He was interested in soccer and, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm trying to drop some nuggets there. So he gets a sense of like a little bit more of well-rounded who I am as a person. I could have just said, oh, I hate losing by far. It's way, you know, worse than anything and said nothing else. That and good, ca- service, good, service good, can- level, right? good yeah. candidates do that though, right? They're going to go deeper. Like a good sales professional is going to go deeper and tell the story and weave the story. You know, I think that the other one that I really like to ask is how important is learning in sales. And my methodology there is, and I, I try to talk to this during the interview process, whether you're a BDR, an AE, uh, a VP in sales, like, what do you do to better yourself? What do you do to always be learning? And I've had people who are like, oh, like, learning is not that important. Like, I need to learn the product and then I'm good. Like, in today's climate, I truly believe you have to always be open to bettering yourself, looking at that coaching, looking at that development. So I'm always interested to hear how people answer when it comes to like how, how important is learning and what do you do to stay at the top of do your you think, craft? Do you think people interpret that question and fixate too much on, on it being like, how do I learn to get better at selling? And they don't hear the part that is, you know, how do I just get better at being a person? I think so. I mean, that's what I for, for those who can't see me, like I'm sitting here pondering. The answer is yeah, probably. Um, looking at it that way, it probably should be tweaked and worded a little bit differently to elicit a, a better answer. I think people should. Well, I think people should hear the question properly, first of all. But in in the case that they don't, maybe there's more clarity that that could be provided there. Because I think a lot of people hear that and they're like, I mean, I already know how to sell. You know, could I get better at selling? Yeah, sure, I could get better. But you know, I've been a salesperson for ten years now. I hit my quota all the time. I'm gonna hit my quota for you, like, you know, and th- and that's and that's all they think. But they're not thinking about like, okay, well, how do I be a better leader? How do I be a better teammate? How do I uh, learn how to sell better in such a way that helps customer success? How do I be a better marketer, which in turn would help my selling? How do I be how do I learn more about building a brand, which not only will help my selling, but will maybe one day help me cut my W2? Like, I think they don't hear all of those other parts, right? You agree, Richard, or no? Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is a lot of what I teach um, in terms of the human aspect, right? And why I push so hard on mental health. Um, how I sum that up in the simplest ways is that, to your point about telling the story in the interview, is that people buy pictures of pain. They don't buy the solution. They don't buy the demo. They buy the pain solution that you have. Like if you think about, you know, I use this all the time. If you think about medication commercials on TV, right? Any medication, they're selling you a lifestyle. They're they're selling you happiness and joy, right? Um, And if it's that, you know, what's, what's the one with the, chronic joint pain, right? They show you the leg and there's all this inflammation at your ankle and your knee with the big red spot, right? Now you're all listening and going, oh yeah, I've seen that commercial, right? Um, or- I was actually thinking, I am that 
picture. Right. Well, I was, I was going to use the. I was. I was just about to say the the one about colitis and Crohn's disease. Right. Like they show people. <laughs> Scott just flipped me off. But but Let, but it's but it's too. Your, like, your resonate. So so Scott doesn't know. So Scott doesn't know this, and candidly, neither does anyone else. I I have colitis. So like you're you're speaking my language right now. Right. Um, and that's and I see Scott's eyes lighting up, but like that is real, right? And you're selling a vision of like a normal life. So mm-hmm. you're it's right. We, and it's funny because it's, it's actually been going on for a long time. And what people actually, what they really remember when I talk about that is, because I'll ask them, you know, do you remember the original uh, Apple commercials and the iPod commercials? And they showed the person dancing and all that stuff where they were selling this lifestyle of joy around music. They weren't selling the device. You barely saw the device. You know what you saw? You saw the white headphones. Right. Like that was it. And they're doing it again. But long before that, right, there was Alka, you know, I'll age myself. There was Alka Seltzer, plop, you know, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Right. Like, and they would drop the bottle, the things, and it would fizz in the in the cup of water. And so that's what's, you know, I'll even go super far back for all my deep southern friends and talk about BC headache powder um, from NASCAR, the original NASCAR. So uh, anyway, I'm gonna stop, but it's the picture of pain that people buy um, and to what Scott talks about too, is that pain and fear sells. So oftentimes they'll first show the pain and fear and then they show the relief, right? Cause they want to remind you of the pain first. Then they want to remind you of the relief. So anyway, I'll stop now. So but you're, you're, you're spot on, right? Like you gotta, if you can't show the pain and you can't uncover the need and you don't tell me more, all you're doing is selling your vision. My, my, my vision means nothing if you can't figure out how it's going to make right. your life better. Tell me more about the tell me more sign. I was going to ask the same I, thing. I, I, this is, I'm just trying to be cute, but um, I actually, this was a month or two ago. Um, we were talking to another, another guest, Casey was his name. And he was saying like, this is Ted framework is tell me more explain to me how, describe to me why. And these are ways to like push somebody in and rather than asking a question, like, do you have any questions so far? Um, is that how you, you use that phrase? Are you using it in the same way in, in, your, in your calls? Yeah, it's a, it's a polite way of, um, so the fuck what? So I, I tell everyone on my team, like after everything we say to a prospect or a customer, we need to be thinking, so the fuck what? It, 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 reprise can help you demo, you know, create a custom demo environment for your customers. Great, so the fuck so what? What does that mean to me? Tell me more. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at it, and, and I use this both professionally and personally, both with my wife and my kid, like you, you have to get two or three layers deeper and you have to really understand. It's very easy when a customer says, you know, I, I, I need you to capture the charts in, in my front end code okay, well, we could do that or okay, we can. Well, tell me more, why is that important to you? What is it we're trying to accomplish here? You know, and if you go two or three layers deeper and it's, you know, okay and or okay, but that's where you start uncovering the pain that you need to solve and they start weaving in their story of what it is they're looking to do other than, yes, they need you to capture the charts. Why? Tell me more. What's the goal we're looking to accomplish? So the fuck why don't one. why don't why do you think people don't dig deep like that? Because <laughs> that's I my job security. That 
It seems because so if, in, they, if they did, so I wouldn't have a job, Scott. <laughs> but it seems, I, I, so, but, but it seems right. so intuitive, I think, to, to, to people who've been in sales for a long time, maybe. Um, I, but, I interview, I do probably four or five interviews a week. Um, and the last stage of the interview where I get involved is a role play exercise. Um, and you'd be amazed how many people we just give an answer and it's, you know, okay, great. And tell me this. And, oh, you want to do that? Oh, okay, awesome. Yes, great. We could do that. Tell me that. I think people get enamored with, oh, I got the, yes, we could do that. Um, and they think that's moving them to the next level instead of being comfortable going deep, understanding the pain and telling a story and weaving a story in. It's the easy way out. It's a cop out. Do you think sellers feel rushed? Like they're, they're struggling so hard to get somebody's time. And so when they're, when they're engaged, like, oh, I got to get through this. I got to do all this because I'm never going to get them back again. Like, I don't have time to go deep on this one topic. Do you think they're speeding through things and not taking the... I, I think sellers have always, always sped through things because they feel that they have to get through this concrete agenda and check off every single box. And like, if I don't check off every box, my leader is going to be upset with me because I, I, I only got a little bit of med pick instead of all of med pick. And I, I think if you do it right and you go deep, you have a much higher chance of getting that next meeting and moving deeper in the conversation and closing the deal than checking every box on such a surface level where people get off the call. So you, think like, it's the, you think it's the leader's fault then a good amount of the time? <laughs> um, I think it is, it's a combination. I think, listen, it all starts with leadership, right? We, we set the stage of what's acceptable and what's not, of how to speak to customers, of how to do demos, of how to get more information um, and of what's important. I, I will never be that leader that looks solely at metrics and is like, oh, you only hit, you know, med and you forgot the ick, like you suck. Like there's a story there. And I think that good leaders really are encouraging their teams to uncover the story, uncover the pain and stop worrying so much about checking every fucking box. Yeah, I think the good leaders, so to Scott's point I, and, and to what you're saying, I think the good leaders know how to build a coaching culture. The issue to... to Adam's point, right? That if the leader builds a coaching culture, then we can work to improve the reps, right? And there will be times, Scott, you and I have been on teams, you know, and work together where we coach them and, you know, the rep sometimes changes things just because they, they're bored, yes. right? And then they go into a slump and it's like, well, why'd you change it? They're like, I don't know, <laughs> like, you know, and, and it's the beauty of, of, you know, one of our, our former sponsors of, of Gong, right, is that you can now go back and figure out when did that happen and what changed and then work to help, you know, re-educate your, your rep. I was about to say child because, you know, we have to re-educate our children, Scott. Um, but, uh, and I think that's the, the beauty of it is that it's that coaching culture. If the leader doesn't build that or follow up on it, then I would agree that it's a leadership issue. Right? So, um, Adam, how do you, how do you, how do you manage the last two weeks of the year? <laughs> uh, great question. The same way I manage every other two weeks of the year. Um, tell, well, I, tell me more, tell me more about that because <laughs> I, I hear that, I hear that initially and I'm like, uh Oh, I don't know if that's the right move. So explain to me, explain to me. Yeah. How, how that so goes. I, I'm a big believer that I'm not going to do anything in the last two weeks of the year, the two weeks, of the month, two weeks, of the quarter um, that we wouldn't do throughout. I think if we're executing a proper sales process, if we're uncovering need, if we're showing value throughout the process, our process moves consistently and we don't have to go into a customer, you know, and be like, hey, we, we have this fire sale, you know, we got to close these deals before the end of the year. 
the discount that I offer you today is going to be the same discount that I offered you December 1st. What I think it's going to be the same like, discount you're going to let me have on January 1st too. You're hundred percent right. As soon as someone tells me I get a discount before the end of the year, I'm like, great, let's talk on January 1st. Because it doesn't change and you're a used car salesman. I, I, I hate when people are like, oh, Scott, th this price is only good through today. Right. Today, tomorrow, next week, and three weeks from now, the, the price is the same. And if you're truly that person who's going to pull the price a week from today, then you're not the company I want to do business with. What I do think you have to do, Scott, to answer your question is throughout the year, the quarter, you have to work with reps on making sure that we're hitting those objectives, we're hitting our numbers, and we're identifying any potential gaps early on so that we're not sitting here on December 20th and having an oh shit conversation of, yeah. now the only way we're going to get stuff across is if we call every customer and offer them a discount. A, a very large, well-known company that everyone on this podcast knows wants us to buy more licenses. And I got the email this morning of, hey, like end of year special, 30% off. Like I cringed literally cringe oh i salivate i'm like sweet let's have some fun so. what if, so that's how you manage the the customers in the sales process how are you managing your people in the last two weeks of the year is that the same as well or is that different yeah so i i try to be pretty consistent across the board whether it's you know regardless of where it is. Um, I don't think that you'll, you'll find a whole lot of variable from me in the last two weeks other than, you know, it is, it goes back to consistently. Like I pride myself on always being available, you know, for the team. We don't do a ton of hierarchy. We, we try to multi-thread and loop in exec to exec touches and everything that you think could be beneficial. Where it really comes in for me is like, if someone's not hitting their goals, their personal goals, like, where can you loop me in? Where can I make a difference short of like some ridiculous discount um, where I can help you overachieve and set yourself up to end out the year with success and make sure that you're comfortable with where you're ending, that you're comfortable with where you're teeing up for your pipeline for next year. But I think that when I look at all the good leaders in my life that have mentored me and where I've been successful, it's those that are consistent throughout the board and you don't have this massive shift just because it's December 20th. So I have an answer to this too, but Scott, how do you manage people the last two weeks of the year? Hit your numbers or you're getting fired. Well, actually, that's no, true. No, 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 no. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to think back when I first did this, I'd say 10 plus years ago, when I first moved to Austin, I think it was the first time I was empowered to do this. Um, the month is over by now. So December 17th would have been the last working day of the year. If you, if you work for me in the last couple of gigs I had, I shut it down, <clears throat> told everybody, get the hell out of here. Don't come into the office. We'll be different now. Everybody's remote, but you know, back then it's like, don't come into the office. Um, I adjusted quota to have only, you know, 15 selling days or 14 selling days, I think in December, which is what, what it would have been this year, I think. Um, and now if somebody wanted to do stuff on their own between now and the end of the year, for whatever reason, because they were behind or they wanted to overachieve or whatever, that's fine. And I'll be here to support them. But um, I've kind of decided a long time ago that the last two weeks of December are brutal and I didn't want to be stressing and I didn't want my team to be stressing. And so um, I made a big adjustment. So 
I think that goes to shocked, that goes, you look shocked to hear my answer. <laughs> I, so I'm a little shocked, but I think that goes to similar to what I'm saying about consistency. So we have a mindset. Like if you were to ask anyone on my team, when I talk about no extra discounts at the end of the month, the end of the quarter, the mindset is our month in my mind runs from the 16th to the 15th. And that way you're always consistent, right? If you're closing your deals halfway through the month, then you're setting yourself up for the next month or the next quarter that we're not having this up. Oh, it's the 28th. Got to get this deal closed. I love the idea of giving everyone the last two weeks of December off though. <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, so I'm, as Scott knows, I'm very tactical around this kind of stuff. So what I work with and, and would try to do um, and encourage people now is that the one thing you can do for the last two weeks of the month starts and you should and the year is that anytime you have a pricing conversation, you have to include a process conversation, right? And people forget really? that all the time. So, you know, I've been coaching reps for years that it's a pricing and process conversation, not a pricing conversation. So that you can talk about pricing, understand it, and then be able to say, look, if we get to this price, or if we get to, depending on how you negotiate, this is our price. Great. What's the process going to look like now? Assuming you want to move forward, what's that process look like? And the sooner you have that conversation with pricing, the better off you're going to be come middle of the month, even the end of the month. So I do agree with both of you, though, on, you know, I like how you said it, Adam, going from the 16th to the 15th, which I think somewhat aligns with how Scott said it, but in a different way. Um, and then the adjusting of the goals to make sure people understand how that works so they can then work the 16th to the 15th. I think what you just said about the process is super important. <clears throat> you know, in, in our world, we're always dealing with legal and infosec and, you know, whatever the paper process is. And we're, we're trying to really train our reps to address that early, like even as early as the discovery call on a high level, like uh, other than you, Scott, like, what is the process, you know, should, should we move forward to purchase new technology and really understand that and understand how in depth or how simple it could be. And the surprising thing is I've worked with enterprise companies that we could get a contract signed in four days. And I've worked with seed series companies that have a legal process that you would swear you were purchasing something from, you know, a, a Wall Street bank. There, there is no rhyme or reason. You have to understand it early because Richard, to your point, price, pricing doesn't matter if you can't get through the process. The price can be great. If you can't get through the process, it doesn't matter if it's free. Yep, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, I know we're getting to the stage where we got to wrap this up. Um, and this is flown by, like crazy flown by. Like I could go on for another hour with you. Um, so I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors of Vidyard Outreach. And um, oh, Scott, who's the other one? I wrote it down. Um, Vidyard Outreach. Reggie, and then of course Reprise, who is here with Adam J, their VP of Sales. So, thank you all so much. We we definitely appreciate it. And Adam, thank you for. Oh, we forgot to do our one thing, Scott. Yeah, uh -oh. yeah you're trying to you're trying to get rid of him. Yeah, I am. We so end we end every show by saying, "How can we be helpful to you? What kind of questions do you have for us?" Ah, so I I, I am not prepared. Um, I think for me. The most helpful thing now is a combination of recruiting great talent. Um, you know, it, it's hard. And then where would you recommend specifically besides both of you and surf and sales for sales teams now, where can they, when we talk about getting better and where you can learn, where are you guiding people that you all deal with every day to learn and make themselves better 
overall at the craft of sales. Besides that, I'll, I'll, I'll throw in the shameless plug for Thursday nights. <laughs> well, yeah, regardless of the, um, of the one, I, I, I think the easiest place is all of the micro communities, sales and revenue micro communities that are out there, you know, from pavilion to Thursday night sales to surfing sales and, and the, and the like, because <clears throat> it's not just when the, you're getting that information, not just when the event is happening. It's all of the like asynchronous kind of uh, conversations that happen, you know, outside of whoever is even leading that particular community. It's all those inter interactions that are flying around all day long. You can be a lurker and learn, and you can be an active participant and really learn. Um, so that's the first place that I've been sending people and, and steering people much more so than old traditional ways of, hey, go read, you know, these books uh, or go listen to these podcasts or any of that kind of stuff. To me, it's way more kind of community driven um, and getting the answers to the questions that you want, like in real time with a diverse group of, you know, members giving you different opinions. I mean, we could go to Thursday Night Sales, you know, leadership channel and, and have a debate on what to do in the last two weeks of the year. And there'd probably be all sorts of people who chime in and say, I'm an idiot. And that philosophy is dumb and limiting. And here's why. I mean, there's probably some people who maybe support my theory. And there's people who maybe have a hybrid thing. And then that allows whoever is going there to learn to get a 360 degree view of, of the situation and make their own decision. So that, that just seems like, it just seems like the, the community is the best place to me now. Richard, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know that there's more to it than that. Um, you know, you can still do the reading and the blogging. I think you can, um, you know, look for those micro communities. I think the important piece as you look at a micro community is understand no one's expecting you to join to be the expert. They're expecting you to join to gain knowledge. That being said, every single person is an expert about something. Every one of us has an opinion about something. And so whether you want to be, you know, a voyeur and just sort of read and peek, or you want to contribute, doesn't really matter. And I think it's really important that you do that. And I also think the key to the micro communities pieces are choose one to start. Don't try to do all five, right? Um, and there are different ones. Like there's a difference between going to a live event, Thursday night sales, where it gets super deep and emotional with Scott and Amy, um, and, and just being able to sit and watch and share and listen and learn and cry in a lot of cases, um, cause it gets really touchy and deep and personal. That to me is probably one of the easiest because it doesn't require a lot of things. Um, and it makes it easy for you to connect with humans. If you go to a Slack community, well, you're going to have to make a little bit more effort, right? Uh, for me at least, um, and, and maybe not for others. Maybe I'm just an old grumpy guy who's tired of too many channels, right? Of communication, which Scott knows, but um, there's just different degrees of it. But I think the important thing is to choose one. And if you don't like it after a day or two, leave it. Like don't, don't flood your Slack with 20 channels because you're never going to get to them, right? Just like you're never going to get to all 20 of those tabs that are open all day, right? So um, so to me, I treat it like an inbox zero situation where it's like, I got to find one. Once I like it, then I'll think about finding another. But once I like it, I'll probably find another one because someone will recommend it to me. 
So I think that's the key to Scott's point about it's the micro communities right now. There are lots of other places, but that's the best one because it's live and it's personal and it's in real time in most cases. Great. I love it. I think it's my, my only caution to that that I try to caution my team is when you pick that community, make sure that you vet it, um, that it's with experts and people who really know their shit. And we've talked about this, Scott, you and I have talked about this one on one Thursday night. So I was talked about it. Everyone has a platform right now. Um, you just yeah. got to be careful where you're taking your advice from. Totally agree with that. Good, yep. uh, good add on there. Good way to good way to close out the show. Cool. All right. Well, thank you again. And, and thank you again to all of our sponsors and Adam for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's been an awesome conversation and dialogue. So we look forward to uh, announcing some more exciting, uh, interesting conversations with reprise in the coming days and weeks. So we'll talk to you Can't soon. Wait. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me.